All right. Hey, Jonathan, would you mind going to slide 29? Thank you. So this morning, we're going to be covering chapters 8, 9, and 10. And uh, I see some smiles that if we're actually going to get through that, a couple shaking heads. Um, We will, because I'm not going to let you talk. So... (laughs) Um, just, just kidding. You, I, I, I look forward to the conversation, um, but we, we are going to cover things quickly. I'm going to go through the chapters and then uh, hold, any, hold any comments and observations. I want to hear your observations, but let's get through the, through the chapters and we'll, uh, we'll have some time for observations at, at, at the end. Um, because I do want to cover this material, and the reason I want to cover it is because altogether is because I believe it, it all kind of covers one, it centers around one main context, one main kind of topic. And there are several things within these chapters that, that are dealt with, but it's all kind of dealing around the concept of uh, this eating food offered to idols. And uh, in multiple places throughout these three chapters, in chapter 8 and 10 specifically, we've got the, the reference to food being offered to idols. Um, Fleeing from idolatry, offered in sacrifice, the, those concepts. And so we, what we see Paul doing here in these three chapters is he is um, he's addressing some questions, some statements, uh, some things that the Corinthian brethren wrote to him concerning food offered to idols. And so he's going to address those. In chapter 8, we're going to see the, the concept that Paul talks about. that He says, do not destroy your brother with your liberty. And so he's going to go into this idea that, that there, there's liberty, liberty that we have. We can eat meat, sacrifice to idols. It, idols are nothing. It doesn't really mean anything to, to eat that meat. But to, to some brethren who, who have weaker consciences around that, who may be coming out of, a, uh, out of that pagan society and, and used to worshiping in that way, that can be a stumbling block to them. And that can destroy them and it can destroy you. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, chapter 9, he talks about sacrificing rights for the sake of the gospel. And he uses himself as an example. And we see several things that Paul had rights to do. He had, li- he had plenty of liberties that he could do as an apostle and as a Christian. And he, for- for- he forewent them. Is that the right word? He, 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 he did not use them. He used restraint in using those, those, uh, those liberties. And for the sake of the gospel, so that he would not be a stumbling block. And then in chapter 10, he, he wraps things up as he, as he talks about idolatry and, and encourages them to flee idolatry, flee idolatry. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into chapter 8. We're going to do kind of a brief overview. There are going to be points that I don't make throughout the chapter, and that's where you guys come in later and bring your observations. But I do want to cover what is being talked about and what Paul, Paul, Paul mentions here in chapter 8. And so do not destroy your brother with liberty. Uh, again, beginning with, with chapter 8, we see another uh, stop sign here where, where it says now concerning, right? Paul is now switching topics. He's switching gears from, from marriage, which he had been talking about, to food offered to idols. And... Uh, the, in the first, chapter 8 kind of outlines out two, diff, two basic sections. The first six verses, he talks about knowledge. He talks about love and eating, things offered to idols. And then he talks about applying love toward those whose consciences are weak. And so what we see in the first part of chapter 8 is this, this idea, he introduces this idea of love versus knowledge. 
And he, he starts out, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies and builds up. Knowledge can lead one to think he knows more than he really does. And he makes this point that, that just because you have knowledge, you can, it can lead you to think you know more. But uh, that's not necessarily true. And then in verse 3, but it's the one who loves God, who is known by God. So we have this, the, this, uh, this parallel or the, this contrast between knowledge and, and, uh, and love here. And then, then he talks about what the knowledge is that they have. What, what is this truth? What is the knowledge that you have that you are writing about that, that we're going to talk about? And he says, well, we know that an idol is nothing. An idol is not real. It, it means nothing. And we know that there is only one God and one Lord. That is knowledge that as Christians we have. And that one God and one Lord is, is, is the Father and Jesus Christ. And we know this knowledge. This is truth, right? This, and, and, uh, but, but where it gets tricky, where it gets difficult and he begins to warn them, is how do we apply that knowledge? How do we use that knowledge? Uh, do we do it with arrogance and pride? Do we do well? Because idols mean nothing, because the meat is nothing, and I can eat this meat, does it mean that, well, it's my right. I should be able to eat that meat. It, it, it means nothing, right? It, it, it's inconsequential. Uh, if, I meet, if I eat this meat that's sacrificed to an idol, I know the truth. Or can it be applied with love? Can it be applied with the intentionally acting to build up your brethren, instead of just, just it, it's my right, well, do, do, does this harm, is this harmful to, to my brethren by doing this? And so he, he talks about that a little bit, and that's really the challenge that Paul um, is going to address over the next three chapters, is this idea of, are you approaching, are you approaching the, this, this matter and, and your brethren with love and intentionality to build them up? Or are you acting out of pride and puffed up arrogance that, that well, it's my right. I can eat this meat and we all know it's, it's right that I can do that. And, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, it's interesting. Well, I'll, I'll make a point a little bit later. Paul mentions this in many of his epistles. I can't say all because I didn't look at every single one of them. But many of his epistles, he mentions this over and over and over to Christians. That this is a concept that I believe is difficult for Christians that there is, we have freedom. We see there is truth and we can act in freedom because it is, it, it is what we want to do. It's pleasing to us. We can be puffed up by the truth and knowledge that we have. We're, we're great Bible students, right? We know a lot of truth. And we can, we, can do, we can make decisions that benefit us from that truth and that, or, or that we, without consideration of others. And so I think there's some application that we can make from this, this idea that we need to not only know the truth, but act in love with that truth to build up our brethren. So that, that, that's a concept that we see here. Um, and then as we go on in chapter 8, uh, verse, verse uh, 7, he says, not all have this correct knowledge. He talks about now we, we want to apply this love towards those consciences who are weak, weaker. And he says, not all have this knowledge. Not all know this, right? Or maybe they know this, but they, they may still be struggling with, with their past. They, they, they may have worshipped these idols in the past, and they may have not come to terms with, okay, I, I, it, it, 
it doesn't mean anything to eat this meat. So they may still be thinking through that and working through that. And so he says in verses 8 and 9, don't let inconsequential things become a stumbling block. Don't let things that, that we know is inconsequential to, to salvation and other things that, you know, because we know idols are nothing. We know that food sacrificed is nothing. Eating doesn't make you better. You're not going to get a higher place in heaven because you ate the food or a lower place because you didn't eat the food. That, that is inconsequential. Just because you know and have a right to eat the meat sacrificed to the idols doesn't mean you should. And that's the point that Paul uh, makes here. And in verse 9, it, it's a really sobering verse. It, it, be careful. Take, uh, take care. Be watchful. Consider those brethren who don't know. Uh, who have a weak or untrained conscience, because you might become a stumbling block. You might become a stumbling block to them uh, by exercising your right. And even more than, than that, appro- approaching this liberty and knowledge with the wrong and arrogant attitude leads to sin. And it, not just a stumbling block for, for them, but it leads to, to sin, sinning against Christ yourself. And, and so that, we see that through, through verse 9. Um, verses 10 through 12, abusive knowledge and liberty can lead to sin. It can potentially destroy your brother. That's a pretty strong statement, causing them to defile their conscience. Destroying a brother that Christ died for. Another strong statement, very sobering thought that it's not just, not just a brother. Christ died for that brother and you are now a stumbling block keeping him from uh, or influencing him, encouraging him to, to sin. And in doing that, you yourself sin against Christ. So we see two souls being lost for the arrogance and the puffed up actions here of, of, uh, of, the, of the Corinthians. Um, and then Paul's own conclusion in 13, he said, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat food so that I do not make my brother stumble. And so that, that's what we see here in chapter 8. That's a very brief overview. Um, and and I want to I jump right into chapter 9 because I think there's a really unfortunate chapter break here. I, and that's going to be a theme as we go through these next three chapters because they really read uh, as one narrative as you read through. Um, because Paul goes into chapter 9 expanding on himself. He, he, he ends chapter 8 talking about himself. He says, I, I will not eat meat if, if it causes my brother to stumble. And then chapter 9 is spent building his argument and his example of himself as someone who is foregoing these rights and, and not, not, uh, not taking these liberties. And I think that's really where our application of this lies. And we see, see a little bit of this mindset here in chapter 9 because, you know, we don't have a lot of meat sacrificed to idols lying around today. That's not a physical challenge that, that we have a lot. But we do see, you know, what other areas do we have where our liberty can, uh, and our attitude around that can cause, a, our knowledge can cause to be puffed up to take, take these liberties, use these rights, and not apply them with love to to our brethren. So, um, moving into chapter 9, he talks about this idea of sacrificing rights for the sake of the gospel. And so, Paul begins talking about his apostleship. He says, I am an apostle, and I have, uh, I have liberties. Just because I don't use my liberties does not mean I'm not an apostle. And so, he starts out with, with this idea that, that it, he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Right? There are many rights that I have. There are many liberties that I have. Uh, and 
he goes on to list several of them in 3 through 14. And we see, we see several things that he, said, that, that he, he mentions. That, you know, do, do we not have the right to eat and drink? And I think that's potentially directly related to the topic at hand, eating food and, and, and there. Uh, I can take along a believing wife. Do, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Um, you know, so, some of this I've, I've seen make claims that, well, he has a right to be married and he's chosen not to be married. So that, that, that's a potential. The other potential thing that I've, uh, I've, mentioned, I've seen around this, this particular statement is that uh, he, he could potentially be making a claim that, that he could bring a believing wife along with him in his work and uh, tied to, to the next thing we're about to read that they can both be supported by the work that he does. And I think the, those can potentially both be uh, what, what, he's, what he's addressing here. And then, and then he goes in for about the next nine or ten verses talking about how he, can, he, he has the right and liberty to make a living from his work in preaching the gospel. And he, he, to, to be supported uh, physically and to, to, to benefit from that. Um, and, and so he's got these three, three liberties that he talks about. I can eat and drink. I can take along a believing wife. I can, uh, I can be f- physically supported, material, materially supported by the preaching of the gospel, the work that I do. Um, and he spends nine, nine verses or so here defending the idea that preachers can and should be, uh, be, be paid for their work in teaching the gospel. And he, he uses several examples. He says, well, just like a soldier doesn't pay for his own way, just like uh, a farmer, just like a shepherd, they, they all benefit from the work that they do. They, they don't have to do that out of their own pocket. They benefit from the fruit. And in, just in those ways, I, I, I have the right to be paid as well and, and to, to benefit in that way. And he says, even the law of Moses allowed this. And we could go back and look at the Levites and how there were, there were provisions given them in their service uh, in sacrifices. And, and they, 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 they received certain allowances and were supported by, by their work there. And so he's making this case that if they can be supported by their labor, do we not have the same right? Paul and Barnabas and I, do we not have the same right to do this? Um, but then verse 12, nevertheless, we haven't made use of this right. We didn't want to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. So in the way he was just telling, telling them, do not become a stumbling block for making use of your right that you, you have, he's telling them, we had this right to take, 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 take financial uh, uh, benefits here, and we did not want to put an obstacle in, in the way of the gospel. And so this is a liberty that we have taken as an example. This is a liberty that we have taken and a choice that we have made. We didn't want our right to become a stumbling block. And so we had this knowledge. We knew that farmers and soldiers and, and shepherds and the law said this, and, and we had this right, but we didn't want to take, uh, take, take that. And, and then the remainder of this chapter, we see the extent that Paul went to save others in himself in verses 15 through 27, where... Uh, he starts out, he, he talks a little bit more about the choice he made about uh, not uh, taking the liberty, uh, not exercising the right in concerning his material support. He's not making the argument, he says, that I want to start receiving support. This isn't why I'm making this argument. I, I don't need to start receiving this from you because that would make his boasting void, he said. And, you know, even though it's his right to be supported, it would make his his boasting void. And I I think that's interesting 
Basically, if he were to take the money from preaching the gospel from, from the Corinthians, he couldn't come back in 2 Corinthians later and say, I wasn't a burden to you, right? That, that would be a, a point he would not be able to make to them. And, there, and, and it could leave him open to some detractors, some who say, well, you're just in it for the money, right? And you're, you're just a common philosopher here that is just speaking and, and, and wanting our money. And, and th- that's your motive behind all of this. Or maybe he had ulterior motives they could have claimed because he, he took their money, but because he did not, because he forewent his, that's going to use that word again, I don't know if that's right, but because he, he restrained from his liberty, he, uh, he, he was, was keeping his boasting valid. He, he was making his point so that, uh, so that they could not uh, claim anything against him there. Um, no one can claim that Paul was a stumbling block to them because of his liberty. And I think we see that throughout all of his examples and all of his writing. He, he was very careful in many situations to make sure that the way he went about what he did, that his reputation was clear, and that he, 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 we really see him acting out of love for, for his brothers. And that's what, one of the things that I really see here throughout uh, chapter 9. And... So then, uh, verses 19 through 23, we get to this idea where he says, look, I was free from all men. I'm not a slave to any. You know, I have all these liberties. As a Christian, I'm not a slave to to any any man that I talk to. You know, I'm not taking money from any. I don't owe anyone anything. But he has made himself a servant of all men. And we see this point that he makes here in chapter 9, that he's made himself a servant of all men so that he can win more. And he says, I, to the Jews, I became like the Jews. To the Gentiles, I became like the Gentiles. To the weak, I became like the weak. And I, I, I think this is interesting looking through this. You know, the, the Jews thinking about that. We're, we're not under the law, right? Paul wasn't under the law. They had knowledge that the law was done away with. But to win more Jews, he became like one of the Jews. And he, he you know, in order to not be a stumbling block to those Jews who are becoming a Christian and who may not have the full understanding that the law was done away with or may have a conscience against, some of the, against breaking some of those things in that law, he was willing to not partake of his rights to just forego all of that and 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 participate in some of those things and, and to, to do things to become like as under the law in order to, to, to help teach. So, I, you know, immediately I think of, you know, like the, the issue of circumcision where Paul had Timothy be circumcised in order to go to, for him to go be able to preach to those Jews. He didn't have to be circumcised. That was his right not to do that. But in order to reach those and not be a stumbling block, he, he went through that. Um, also in Acts, in Acts, when Paul returned to Jerusalem for, from, from his missionary journey, um, there was a lot of, uh, a lot, he was facing a lot of problems there because they said, well, you're, you're saying that you're going around teaching people that you could just forsake Moses. And so the Jews were not happy. And so he goes and, and it's recommended to him that he sponsors the, the cleansing or the purification of the, the three, uh, three Jewish Christians to show that he was not teaching uh, Jews uh, to forsake Moses. He didn't have to do that. That wasn't part of uh, any law that he had to keep, but he did that in order to, uh, in order to, to win their, their souls and to not become a stumbling block. Gentiles, the same way. He became as like those outside of the law. He didn't bind the 
things like circumcision on them. He didn't bind certain feast days on them and things like that because the inconsequential. He, he didn't need to do that to, to win those souls. But instead, uh, he, he, he became like, like them as, as he spoke to them. And then, and then the weak brethren here. Uh, I, I believe he's talking about those he's talking about here in the rest in chapter 8. The, the, those with weakened conscience. Well, you know, he's teaching in chapter 8, for the sake of those who are weak, I don't meet, eat meat. But in those situations where Paul is teaching those who are weak, I became like the weak. I became like, uh, like them and refrained from exercising his right. So he wasn't a stumbling block. So he became all things to all men because he desired to save them and share the gospel with them. Um, and then at the end of chapter 9 here, he, he gives a, kind of an additional motive or additional reason not, uh, not to... Um, not, not to exercise uh, their, your liberty and, and, and to restrain. He says, not all who win a race uh, win the prize, right? And he uses this, this analogy of, of chasing after a prize in a race. You, you need to run with intention to win. You need to run with the, with the goal to obtain it. You need to do it in the right way. Uh, do whatever it takes to obtain the prize, even if that means restraining and not, not exercising your right for the sake of your brother. And, and, and that's the point that he's making here. He says those who compete for perishable crowns, they know how to exercise self-control. And we can look at athletes. We can look at, 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 at successful businessmen. All, all, of, the, all of these pe- people who, who are successful in, in the world, they know that they have to exercise self-discipline. They have to exercise uh, self-control in the way that they train and in, in, in their goal. I mean... You know, Tom Brady eats avocado ice cream, and he how self control how much self control does that take? Right, that he 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 has very very narrow focus on the the goal to to receive an imperishable crown, one that doesn't even really mean anything eternally. How much more so, Paul says, should we be willing to exercise self control? Should we be willing to restrain and exercise discipline for a imperishable crown for one that that is eternal and for the the ultimate reward so paul runs his race fights the good fight but he does it with intention he's determined he does it with discipline and uh in controlling his own body because and here's here's where the motivation comes in because he can be disqualified he he can he can he can lose the race he can, he can be lost. And we see this idea of apostasy here. If he's not careful, the rights he has can become a stumbling block to the weak. They can be lost and he can be lost. And so we see that, uh, that, that kind of additional motivation and motive in, in restraining here as he makes that. All right, that dates us through chapter 9. And now we're going to briefly look at chapter 10. Where we've got another... I believe, unfortunate chapter break. Um, and what I want to do is read verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 27, and then continue straight on into chapter 10, because, I, again, it, it continues a thought, and he, he begins to, to, to build on this argument here. So in chapter 9, verse 27, it says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, 
And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So he immediately goes from chapter, the end of chapter 9, uh, talking about the possibility of becoming disqualified from this race, becoming lost, uh, into giving the example of the, Israelite, the, the, the Israelites losing the race and becoming lost from, from, their, uh, from, from their actions and, and, and the way they approached, the, even in spite of the many blessings that they experienced. And, and many of them he describes here. He says, I run the race so I'm not disqualified, and here's why. Look at our fathers in Israel they, and, and what they did. This is why I run the race the way I, I do. Uh, they, they experienced some great blessings, and they turned away from God, and most of them died in the wilderness. And so we see here in the first five verses uh, that, that we just read, the, the Israelites, they, they had many blessings, right? They, they had blessings received in the crossing of the Red Sea. They had blessings received while they were in the, in the wilderness, uh, in, the, in the manna and the water that they received. But nevertheless, God was not pleased. Uh, God was not pleased with them, with most of them, and they died in the wilderness. And after this example, he, he says, this, this is an example for us. This is, the, this is instruction that was written to us so that we don't desire evil like they did. So we don't fall into the same trap that they did. Uh, we experience the same spiritual blessings as Israel did. And I like, I like the way he used spiritual food, spiritual drink, because that we, we receive those blessings, don't we? We, we received uh, experience, we experienced salvation through, through baptism, just like they experienced salvation through the sea and, and, and through the cloud there. We experience spiritual food and drink through the gospel of Christ, as Jesus claimed, that, that he was the, the, the living water and bread. And they were lost because of their attitudes and their shortcomings and their turning away from God, their arrogance, their being puffed up, their, their choices that they made. And we can be too. And so he, may, he makes a, some, some charges to them, some challenges. Do not be idolaters, um, which is really the core of what he's talking about here. Do not be idolaters. Uh, do not commit sexual immorality, which he already touched on in chapter 6. So he's bringing that back up again. He says, do not tempt Christ and do not murmur. The Israelites' history here was recorded to admonish us. To, uh, they, they happened for an example, written down for our instruction, Paul writes, as a pattern for us to follow or to avoid um, those of us living through the end of ages here. Um, verses 12 and 13, we can just as easily fall. Don't be puffed up. Don't be arrogant. Um, but the good news in verse 13, God is not going to tempt us beyond what we can uh, what he's faithful in providing help in dealing with temptation. He will not tempt us beyond our ability. He'll provide a way of escape. So, um, so we have the example of the Israelites and the example of, of, of even amid the, amidst the blessings that they, that they uh, receive, they still uh, made the wrong choices, the, the wrong approach, and, and they, they fell there. They died in the wilderness. Um, in verse 14, therefore, flee idolatry. Don't be like Israel. Um, don't be arrogant. Don't think you're something special just because you're God's people. But 
flee from this idolatry, flee from this temptation. And I think it, it's interesting that the same term he used in chapter 6, he uses here, flee sexual immorality, flee idolatry. He, he's, he, this is something important that they need to, to stay away from. Then uh, verses 15 through 22, I, uh, this became one of my favorite sections out of these three chapters the last, uh, la- last few days when I've been looking at this. He goes, he, he begins to reason from the scriptures about these religious feasts and the implications that, that, that they have and the relationship they have to one another. And, and the reason I like this section is because he's reasoning. He's using logic and he's showing them reason and logic from the scriptures and, and from, from the knowledge that they have. He, he's taking the knowledge and, and applying it. So he says, I'm about to use reason and some logic. I'm speaking to sensible people. You're capable of making wise judgments. And, and, and so, so he, he, here his re, here's his reasoning. He's going to take these two biblical events, these two concepts. He's going to reason through them, come to a logical conclusion about idolatry here and about the, the, the meat sacrifice to idols. And I think it's a good example for us as we... It is possible for us to reason through the scriptures, and this is a, a pattern that we can follow in reasoning and using logic in the scriptures. But so he says in verses 16 and 17 that partaking of the Lord's Supper is a communion of the Lord's body and blood that we all take of. So by eating the bread, t- drinking the, bringing the cup, you, you are partaking of the Lord's body. And so we see a relationship there, this communal relationship between you and the Lord's body and, and participating in that, that, uh, that eating. Uh, the priests of Israel who ate the sacrifices, they were sharing in the services offered on the altar. When they ate that meat, they were sharing and, and, and communing with, with the, the, the things being sacrificed to God. And what is the common theme we see here? In both of these religious feasts, by eating the food, you're symbolically partaking of the source of the focus of the meal. You're communing, you're participating as a part of the Lord's body, you're participating in part of the sacrifice to God. And then in verses 19 through 22, he, he uses that same reasoning and logic now applied to this eating of meat sacrificed to idols. He, he says, does it, uh, uh, acknowledging, he, he says that idols are nothing. He, he acknowledges the truth, the knowledge that they have. We know idols are nothing. We know uh, things offered to idols aren't, uh, aren't, aren't anything either. It's inconsequential. You can eat it or not, that, that whole idea. Um, but those who offer the sacrifices... To, in the pagan sacrifices, they're offering those to demons. They're offering those to, to, to evil to, uh, in, in, in spite of God. They, they, they're offering those uh, in, in that way. And, and uh, they're participating in worshiping what is evil and not what, uh, worshiping God. And Paul, it, what we see is Paul does, would not want you to have fellowship with demons, right? He doesn't want you to have fellowship in partaking of, of, these, of these things. And he says, one cannot eat and drink at the Lord's table and then do the same at the table of demons. This would provoke the Lord to jealousy. So Paul is logically reasoning here that while idols are nothing and the meat sacrificed to them are nothing, but the intention behind them, the intention behind them and what they were used for means, means something, right? That, that does mean something. And if your, your conscience is, is, is weaker and you don't understand fully that those are nothing, then, then this, this is going to be a problem. The one who sacrifices the meat to the idol doesn't think they're nothing. And because of this, they're offering sacrifices to demons, according to Paul. There's an opportunity 
here, I think, to inadvertently become entangled with idolatry. Even though it means nothing, even it's possible that, that you could become entangled with idolatry here uh, in, in, uh, by going against your conscience and knowingly eating meat that is sacrificed to idols. So the, based on this logic now, at the, the end of the chapter, he makes some conclusions about this whole, the whole topic. And so he, we, we've seen, he's talked about knowledge versus knowledge and love and how to approach the weaker brethren. He's given his example on why, why we should restrain from using freedoms. And he's used this logic now talking about, uh, talking about uh, meat being sacrificed to idols and, and, and how we don't want to partake in that. So here's some conclusions he makes here at the end of chapter 10. Uh, specific instruction to the Corinthian brethren in, in verses 23 through 30. He, he teaches those, I, I believe here he's teaching those with weaker consciences the, the, the truth in, in order to strengthen them. I think there's part of that where he, he's, he's giving them some, some information here to, to strengthen. Uh, but he's also instructing those who, who may be puffed up. He's talking to all the brethren, right? And on how to take care and be mindful. And I think these conclusions really center around the statement made in chapter 8, verse 10, that if anyone sees you have uh, knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Uh, he, he makes that statement in, in verse 10 of chapter 8 that if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in idol's temple, one of the big problems with eating meat sacrificed to idols centers, centers around the one with a weaker conscience knowing that it was sacrificed to idols. And that's whether he sees you eating it in the temple, whether he knows that it was bought in the marketplace and he knows the source of it, whether he's being offered it at dinner and he finds out the source of it, that, that becomes where the, the, the weaker conscience, it really begins to have a problem because if he didn't know, it would just be meat. But once he knows, then he realizes it's against his conscience. And so if you're seen in the temple eating the meat, that would be harmful to that brother's conscience, right? It could lead him to sin because he, well, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're a faithful Christian and now you're eating this meat that I, I know is being offered to idols. It's in the temple. So that would not be a wise thing to do, right? That would not be a, while eating that meat really doesn't mean anything, ultimately it would not be a, a wise thing to do and could potentially entangle you in that idolatry. Um, also, if the weaker brother finds out meat that he is eating with sacrificed idols, this again could cause him to sin against the conscience. And so we see this point being made. In verse 23, uh, he makes the point, the same phrase that he, he said in chapter 6 around sexual immorality, where you need to look to participate in the things that are helpful. Not all things are helpful, right? Not all, all things are lawful. All things are, 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 I'm free to do, but it, not everything's helpful. And so he's making that, that same logical argument here. And then he, he gets into some, to the specifics here. Concerning the food sold in the marketplace, um, common practice to sell the, the food that was sacrificed in the marketplace and, and people would go, go buy that there. Some may have known, some may have not, depending on, I guess, the stand you were at and, and the conversation being had. Um, but, but concerning that, that food that's sold in the marketplace, he says, eat it without question in good conscience. Don't, you know, just, don't go look, looking for asking the question, but, but if, you know, just eat it. it it's not, you can do that in good, in, in good conscience. Quoting Psalm 24, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There is nothing wrong with that meat to, to eat. Then uh, when you're invited to dinner with an unbeliever, another, another scenario example he, he gives, eat what is set before you. He says, don't, don't ask questions about where it came from so that your conscience may be clear. Again, there's nothing wrong with eating the meat that's presented to you. However, if, 
It, it happens to be, someone happens to point out that the food has been offered to an idol. Well, then, then you'll have to go against your conscience. Don't, don't eat that. And you're just very simply saying, you know, if you, if, if you find out about it, that's going to go against your conscience. Don't, don't eat that. Um, and he, he, he recommends that for the sake of the one who pointed it out. Maybe as being a good example, and then for the conscience of others, uh, for the sake of another's conscience, uh, so that your right is not judged. So uh, this seems to fall in line with Paul's line of thinking and not taking support for, for, uh, for preaching the gospel. I, th- I think this is, this is just a, a, a logical connection to his thought process we've seen throughout the, the rest of these chapters here. Um, and these are some practical conclusions and applications for the brethren. Um, then uh, he, he, there's some general principles at the very, very end of this uh, chapter that, that I think are, are not necessarily overriding, but good guiding principles in this idea uh, that he's talking about. And so verse 31, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And we've seen this phrase before. He's already, he's already mentioned uh, in, in chapter six around sexual immorality, use your body to the glory of God. So whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. If you're gonna eat, make sure you're, you're not detracting from God, but you are doing it to, to his glory. Um, exercise your liberties without care of your brother. That's a selfish move. That's done out of arrogance and pride. That isn't, it isn't building one another up. That is not bringing glory to God. So whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Uh, verses 32 through 33, give no offense to Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Uh, just like Paul sought to please others rather than himself so that others may be saved. Um, I do think it's important to, to mention, I didn't mention earlier, what Paul is not teaching is to participate in or teach something that goes against God's will in order to save somebody or in order to attract people. I, I think that that's clear that, that that's not what he's saying when he says become, become like these, I, I'm, I'm uh, like the Jews and the Gentiles and, and becoming all things to all men. But instead it's about your motive. You're not doing things out of your own selfish motive, out of your own arrogance and pride, but you're doing things to instead considering your brother, doing things that you know they may struggle with, that they may have a conscience about, you are, you are doing things to, to help strengthen them and build them up out of love. Um, and then, let's see. And then uh, I think the, another unfortunate chapter break because it goes into chapter 11, verse one, where Paul gives the final principle, imitate, me as I imitate Christ. And again, we've seen this idea. He's made this statement before, but one of the things I really appreciate during this study that I'd never really paid much attention to before is, is kind of the process Paul gives. He gives a principle, he teaches about it, and then he gives an example of himself and his thought process and says, imitate me. And so he's not just leaving them out to dry with, with, with you know, trying to figure this out and guess that he, he, he's, he's left them an example. He's made conscious, intentional choices. Um, all right. I got through chapter 10. I did not leave much room for observations, but there are a few minutes I would love to hear. I know we covered a lot of material, but I, I know there's a lot more wiser people in here than me. I'd love to hear your observations if you have any thoughts about what we've talked about. John. Last year when we were studying the uh, harmony of the Gospels, I noticed that uh, what Jesus brought up time and time and time and time again was compassion and being a humble uh, servant willing to sacrifice for others. So what Paul's teaching is not new here. <laughs> Jesus has taught all that. He's just making us a, a specific application of, of those things. 
But also, when he's talking there in chapter 10, early part of chapter 10, about the example that Israel, in verse 6, he talks about uh, don't uh, crave evil things. Verse 7, idolatry. Verse 8, immorality. And we say, oh, no, I'll, I'd never be involved in any of that. But look at verse 10. It says, nor grumble. Now, how many of us have been guilty of that? See, and that was right in the list with all the rest. Yeah. So we need to be careful about those things. Yeah, there's a lot in here uh, that that we need to be very careful to, to avoid. And, and that's very clear in the example of the Israelites. Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to say um, about um, not making your brother stumble, that's important because um, sometimes you can go somewhere or do something and you think, well, nobody sees me. Nobody knows that I've been there, so it doesn't matter. It does. Yeah, our our example is is extremely important, and and even our reputation is, is very important, and we need to make choices based on well, you know, if somebody saw me here, would that be a good uh, a, a good wise thing? No, no, that could cause somebody to stumble. I care. Uh, Matt, uh, two two comments. One, when you look at the discussion about love of the brother in chapter 8 and 9 and 10, made me think of going back to 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brother. So putting our brother before us, mm-hmm. I think, is the epitome of love, which is described in 1 Corinthians 8. And then I'll say this for us to chew on for next week. I'm not too sure that verse 1 concludes the discussion on idolatry. Because when you go to verse, chapter 12, verse 1, he picks up. Now, concerning the things regarding spiritual gifts, he does not do that in, verse, in chapter 11. So in my mind, chapter 11 is a component of the entire discussion on idolatry. Maybe not things sacrificed to idols, but idolatry as a whole. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Uh, I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I, I think that is something to consider. Any, we've got just one more minute. Mitch? I was going to say, I think uh, the comment that you made, and one of the hardest things about this is, is your comment on mindfulness. You're thinking about your brethren. You're thinking about the ones that are weak and what, is, what could possibly cause them to stumble. And to do that, you have to know about your brethren. Yes. But not only that, you have to know about your community, you have to know about others in your community and what can cause them to stumble as well, because we're not just an influence on ourselves and on our group here as a whole, but we're also an influence on the community around us and how we can reach out to them, how we can be an example to them, and how we can influence them to follow Christ. And you can only do that by knowing what may offend them and not doing those things. And so you have to be very mindful, and that, that's difficult, that takes intent and it takes knowledge uh, that you may have to go out and find in order to, to be mindful and, and make those good decisions. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, th- this, was a, this was something that just contextually Corinth, had, the community, had an issue with, this pagan sacrifice. And it was important for them to, to be aware of that. Thank you so much for the comments. Uh, appreciate the participation. We'll uh, pick up in Chapter 11 next week.